This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much to Gareth and the gang. Locked and loud. They will be back tomorrow morning, 6 to 9. Gee, it's always fun seeing them in the studio. Uh, you know, like Ben and Mabale, just they brighten my day every time I come in here. Wednesday, 9 to 11. San Munan Dumelang Rorisang Shabalala. Salbon and Rulive. Now, what language are we speaking now? Because I'm addressing you in one. But you're saying Salwar Nangit. Of course. Or did you say Dumela? I said Dumela. Oh, Dumela and Rulivo. Good thing, like that. I don't like it. What's wrong with my pronunciation? What's wrong with my pronunciation? I know. It's, it's fine. You're asking me how I slept. Yeah, I'm asking you how you slept. I've been up for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to work on some new vocab. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. All right, so we're in studio 9 until 11 o'clock this morning. Um, welcome to the show. It is Frankly Speaking. We are asking, Frankly Speaking, how could Donald Trump become the next U.S. president? You know, it's been so interesting watching possible? this thing. How is it possible? I mean, I've been been watching this thing. It is actually fascinating to watch. Mm. You know, it's, it's like one of these things that if you're not into, then it, it becomes this kind of weird thing that you're looking at from the outside. But as soon as you get into it and you start watching and it reading and listening, you. it absolutely swallows you. It is absolutely phenomenal what's going on. A couple of months ago, people were saying there is no ways that Donald Trump will be even close to being the Republican nominee. That has totally now disappeared. Yeah, it's 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 just fascinating how the U.S. figures out how to turn everything into showbiz. It's so true. It is so true. Like uh, in the in the in in the elections before the last ones, Obama was the 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 main character, right? And and they just built a story around Obama. And because you don't really have so so either they either it's always a story about an individual or it's it's a story about this great duel that's happening between. Uh, two candidates. It's it's just crazy. The U.S. has figured out how to make politics into a reality show. I am a hundred percent sure that Don King is somewhere involved. You know, remember the <laughs> boxing promoter Don King. You know, whenever um the big boxers of the nineties were involved, Don King was somewhere. I am sure Don King is involved somewhere here as it well. It is insane, and and of course uh, this this election. Um, or these elections are all about Donald Trump, at least at the primaries stage. So the primaries are where the, the, the different, the two parties mainly choose who will represent them as candidate, uh, for, for, uh, president. Um, so they're busy going through that process, but it's just so interesting how synchronized the two parties are. So when they have Super Tuesday, which is a Tuesday where most of the different states come together and elect, uh, who they want to be their candidate. It happens on the same day for both the Democrats and the Republicans, and it's a big deal, and the, the TV networks are all all in it. It's just insane. So listen, if you don't know uh, a lot about the American world and the politics and how it works, we will be speaking to a number of guests throughout the show who will help us understand exactly what's going down. If you've got any comments about Donald Trump or Donald Trump, as John, John Oliver said a few, few weeks ago, let us know on WeChat. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Hit us up at Cliff Central, and also you can uh, speak to us on Twitter at Rory Shabalala or at Yebo underscore Levy. Rory, just spell your surname because people, I think, are tweeting you, but they're tweeting you incorrectly. That's that's my feeling right now. T S H A B A 
L-A-L-A, Shabalala. So hit us up on Twitter or WeChat, whichever one you feel right, and we can hook you up now. Uh, let's start the show like this, I think. It, it, it's, it's worthwhile. Let's see. Since these slaughters in Paris and San Bernardino, the focus, national security, it is all happening. We have a question on this war against ISIS and how you would fight and win this war. Political ones, the story quoting Republicans, including Ari Fleischer, the former Bush White House spokesman, calls you roadside accident. He tarnishes everyone, irresponsible, divisive, hurtful. Does that hurt your feelings? Politicians are all talk, no action. The politicians are going to destroy this country. They're weak and they're ineffective. Probably the least racist person on earth. When they come in from Syria, I want them to be registered. They have to be registered. We have to watch them because we just don't know who they are. We don't know where they come from. We don't know if they're ISIS, and we don't know if they have evil intentions. We have very stupid people in our country negotiating for us, and we have leaders that don't know what they're doing. I say, why are you doing state dinners for them? They're ripping us left and right. Just take them to McDonald's and go back to the negotiating table. Seriously. Hotels and casinos filed for bankruptcy protection three times in six years. Okay, let me explain it to you. Very simple. Isn't that a failure? Not really. I mean, look, it worked out very well for me. What were you paying $2 million a year for? Excuse me. Because of my genius, okay? I'm really rich. I actually think I have the best temperament. People love me. And you know what? I've been very successful. Everybody loves me. I went to an Ivy League school. I'm very highly educated. I know words. I have the best words. You just had a poll. Wait a minute. You just had a poll. And going even against Hillary, I win easily. I think you can see that. Our current president came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere. In fact, I'll go a step further. The people that went to school with him, they don't even know, they never saw him. They don't know who he is. We're fighting a very politically correct war. Yeah. Well, we see that and the happening other thing is with the terrorists, you have to take out their families. When you get these terrorists, you have to take out their families. They, they care about their lives. Don't kid yourself. Mr. But they Trump. say they don't care about their lives. You have to take out their families. And that's how we start the show today, Rory. Dude, do you see even the anthem is like some <laughs> epic, like, ta-da! It really, I, I love the anthem, I must say. I do, I do love a good anthem. You, it's funny, I was checking last night for this, and you go American National Anthem, and the Who's Who has sung this anthem from Whitney Houston to Kelly Clarkson to Beyonce to everyone. They have all <laughs> sung the national anthem at some big sporting events. We also, we've also had like Raz Dumisani sing our anthem. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. We, oh, we also have our who's who. All right, before we get to Chris McGreal, let's talk to you, Rory. What are your thoughts? I mean, you, you've been quite quiet about this this week, about Donald Trump. Um, what are your thoughts about Donald Trump? I so I, I followed the U.S. Uh, elections or, or prior U.S. elections. This one is just—it doesn't interest me. It's just—it looks like a farce, man. It, it, you know, when you listen to the debates, uh, these guys spend so much time just discussing things that really don't make a difference. It's all about, uh, oh my goodness, uh, you you sweat too much. Uh, they, they discuss they discuss penis sizes uh, it's entertaining um so then i have to figure out with my time uh if i need entertainment 
yes, I'll do it, but I'm not going to engage with it as something serious. So I'm just watching it out of interest. I personally don't think Donald Trump will eventually uh, succeed. For some reason, I just think there's just too many things that are going to catch this this, this whole process. Right? Catch him out. So huh? so he might win the Republican uh, uh, nomination. If he wins the Republican nomination, he has to face Hillary. Uh, Hillary at the at the actual elections, and you know how the Americans roll, man. They'll just assassinate him. Like push comes to shove, the establishment is just gonna be like, we we can't we can't. What I found fascinating about him is every time he gets asked a very difficult question, he says, "Excuse me," you know, they're like yeah. Donald Trump. What is your policy on uh, foreign policy? Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, what? Listen, we're talking Donald Trump. Could he be the next U.S. president? How could he be the next U.S. president uh, on Cliff Central 9 until 11? What are your thoughts? Hit us up on Twitter at Yebo underscore Levy or at Rory Shabalala. We want to hear your thoughts and questions for our guests. Our first guest is uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris McGrill. He's the senior writer for The Guardian U.S. He's a former Washington correspondent and was previously posted in Johannesburg and Jerusalem. I mean, this guy is as hardcore as it gets. And uh, he's a he he he's a pretty good time as well. I met him uh, in Johannesburg a couple of years ago, mm. and he has some very like he has some very interesting stories. Chris, uh, thank you for joining us so late. You're joining us from Portland, Oregon. It's it's around 11 p.m. there at night. We really appreciate you staying up this late. Um, good morning to you. Oh, good evening. Yeah. <laughs> you see, you're already you're already starting, Chris. Jeepers, I haven't even started the interview. And you're already giving me grief. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Donald Trump. Let's just get straight into to it. Just your views before we ask you some serious questions about our friend Donald Trump or Donald Trump, whichever one you want. Mm-hmm. My view of what? Of Donald? Yeah, of Donald just generally. Oh, well, you know, I mean, the very fact that we're even having this conversation six months ago, he was just a joke candidate and we all fell off our chairs when he said he was running and wondered how long he would keep going and thought that basically he was just in it because he he killed off the apprentice um and the man likes to be on television you know so we we thought really this is just another attempt at grabbing attention um and then here we are 6 months later asking the question could he really be president um and the frightening answer at least sitting in this part of the united states i i hate to say is Maybe, yeah, maybe he could be president. Um, it could happen. And, uh, you know, not, not a lot of people would have thought he'd have got this far. Um, and he has. And the numbers uh, are stacking up in his favor. So uh, I don't know what to say except um, build your nuclear bunkers. <laughs> We saw last night uh, some, some results came in. Michigan and Mississippi, they went to Trump as well. Uh, quite a few states in, in the lower band of America have, have put in their votes. What do you expect going, going into to the upper side and, and central part of, of the country? Well, the, the, the interesting thing about Trump is he's done well everywhere, hasn't he? He's done well in the South, in the Old South, but, you know, in Michigan as well. Idaho, he lost to Cruz, but Idaho's far out west and potato state, and there aren't many people that really live there. Um, the places with the population, he, he's doing well. Um, we've got Florida. It's going to be a big test for him uh, on the 15th of March, so in a week. Um, now, that's got a lot of delegates. Marco Rubio was from Florida, and everybody for a very long time thought it would be Rubio's to take. 
Um, this it may indeed uh, be that Robio loses it and then he's out the race after that. But if, if Trump can take uh, Florida, um, then the numbers really look, you know, very difficult for anybody else. At the moment, he's about 100 delegates ahead of Cruz um, and 300 ahead of Rubio, and he needs 1,200 to win. He's, got, he's, he's almost halfway there. He's got 450 delegates nearly, and he needs 1,200 to win. Um, so he's, um, he's stacking them up. And, and I'd say when you look at, the, look at the numbers from the Rust Belt, so it, Michigan, it's not quite as big a win over Cruz as previously. It's 37% to 25%, but he's still got a majority. Um, and I, 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 I don't think the way the, the, the numbers are stacking up, he's, he's facing big defeats in other places. He might lose, um, but if he, if he takes the delegates where they're, they're divided up by proportional representation, it, in the end, it still keeps adding up in his favor. Chris, uh, just take us into the, 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 the GOP, the Republican, uh, the Republican Party. Uh, we've seen that they have just recently come through um, or, or what, what's regarded as the establishment uh, has, come, has come out uh, and almost putting together uh, a team uh, to basically stand against Trump and just fight against him, but this guy is is essentially going out to represent them. Uh, are they are they just tone deaf and and are fighting what the general populace actually wants? Because Trump isn't winning; he can't just be winning, right? He he's winning because he appeals to the people on the ground. Why are we seeing the establishment seemingly being so far removed from what the heartbeat is on the ground? Well, I mean, the establishment, the Republican establishment is in a complete panic because they don't know how to stop this guy. Yeah. And you're quite right. They are completely and utterly out of touch with the people on the ground. Uh, and the one thing, I mean, policies aside, the one thing they really can't stand about him is they don't control him. In, a, in their own way, Rubio and Cruz, however much they may portray themselves as mavericks and outsiders, essentially they buy into the Republican program and, and the constraints that the re- Republican leadership places on policies and, and where they're going to take the country. Um, and, and they're part of the system. They're part of the Republican establishment. Trump simply isn't. And in fact, he's way out there from a lot of the Republican policies. For instance, he believes in, in a single-payer healthcare system, which is the nearest thing that you would get to kind of a national health service in this country. Th- this man believes in it, which is completely against everything the Republicans Republic, believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it actually scares the hell out of the, uh, out of the Republican leadership that he, he's, he's, uh, he, he's completely out of their control. And you're right. They, they, they're now caught in this bind, which is, this man is building up uh, support on the basis of his anti-establishment um, uh, positions. And the more they resist him, the more he looks anti-establishment and the more popular they, that he becomes. He becomes yeah. And they don't know how to put a, a, put a stop to this. Um, and what you've just described of them rolling out, you know, most actually ludicrously Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, only, uh, Trump. I mean, when Mitt Romney's going to slag you off, you know, yeah. Trump supports went up. Because yeah. Romney's against you, uh, a man who couldn't <laughs> win the last election. Um, how on earth is that going to do Trump any harm? And and I think part, part of um, actually what is also galvanizing for Trump is that 
a lot of his supporters suspect that there is a, a conspiracy, a conspiracy in the yeah. somewhere down the line. Because, you know, they have this thing that if you don't get an outright majority of delegates, then they go to what's called a brokered convention. Mm. And that essentially means it's, it's decided in what, you know, used to be the smoke-filled rooms, but it being modern America, nobody's allowed to smoke indoors anymore. So <laughs> no smoke still put those rooms. You know, room, where yeah. there's smoke, there's fire, eh, Chris? <laughs> Um, so, uh, but uh, essentially, a, a, a fix behind the scenes, um, and um, that the fear of that is also helping to drive support for uh, for Trump. Oh, and, and there's a great danger in it for the Republican Party because they may or may not be able to pull that off down the line if if Trump doesn't come up with enough uh, delegates. But if they do that, then. Uh, they're going to find a candidate, let's say Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio, stick him out there. And all those Republicans who supported Trump are going to be thoroughly fed up and disillusioned yeah. and probably not going to vote. Um, so they lose the election anyway. But it's really fascinating how a guy with as big an ego as Trump has been able to position himself or be positioned as a victim in all of this. Um, Chris, uh, we, we, we saw in the previous elections, uh, at least when Obama took presidency, uh, there was just this Tea Party movement that was all about going and and taking on 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 the establishment in Washington and and changing things around in Congress, and that was also an anti-establishment uh, movement within the Republican Party. Um, and uh, now it's very interesting that those very people who have been sent uh, to Congress and were anti-establishment are now opposed are now opposed to this other guy who's coming in and saying, I'm anti-establishment as well. <laughs> what is going on? We saw Sarah Palin <laughs> coming in. She's endorsing this anti-establishment person, but she was an anti-establishment to the, to the establishment. It's just, it's just it's a, a mess. mess. What, a what, mess. what is, well, is what's a, going on? Is, no, you're quite right. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a, it is a complete mess. But in fact, Trump follows from the Tea Party sort of naturally because what happened with the Tea Party was that, that they had this election. You're quite right. They were the kind of... They were they were the movement for the future inside the Republican Party. They galvanized uh, ordinary people on the ground and they got a lot of members uh, uh, elected to Congress and, in fact, moved uh, the Senate from uh, Democrat to Republican hands halfway through Obama's first term, all of that. But when these guys got to Washington, these members of Congress, they essentially behaved like all the other members of Congress. Um, Typical and politicians. They, 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 yeah, they were seen basically as having sold out. Ted Cruz being an exception to that, which is part of the reason he's been able to run. But one of the things that's notable about Ted Cruz is there's 100 members of the Senate. 99 other members of the Senate absolutely hate Ted Cruz. Um, he's the most popular man in the organization. And you can see it. How does he go to work every day, for heaven's sake? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. He single-handedly shut down the government for about a week at one point, and to the alarm <laughs> and despair of the um, of the rest of the Republicans. Yeah. But Trump is, in a way, um, a, a product of that, of all of that, and of the nature of the Republican Party, because they tried the Tea Party thing, that failed, and finally you've got this man who, as you say, his positions, you know, it is absurd that this man who is a billionaire or claims to be a billionaire yeah. and um, it's essentially, um, uh, you know, one of the most privileged men in the country, made it because his daddy was rich and gave him the money in the first place. Um, he's portraying himself as, as anti-establishment and it's working. Uh, but 
uh, it, it is because of the failure of the Tea Party to change things Chris, and those members who were elected. Help us out. We've been embroiled in South African politics for so long with uh, our, our best friend, uh, President Jacob Zuma. Uh, give us a little understanding of what the Tea Party is and what it means in, in the States exactly. Now, the Tea Party is uh, essentially it's a grassroots um, uh organization within uh, the Republican Party. I mean, what you have to remember about the nature of American politics is that they have this primary system, which gives an awful lot of power to those voters who are a minority, who are motivated to go out and vote in these primary elections ahead of the, the general election. It's a very actual small proportion of, of the overall number of voters. But because they go and vote, they help dictate policy. And within the Republican uh, Party. There were a lot, particularly uh, led by, um, uh, uh, particularly in southern states, but but also a bit of the Rust Belt, uh, particularly whites and particularly poor whites, low-income family whites, who have essentially feel that they've been left behind. They've been left behind by the Democrats, who they see as representing uh, interests that aren't their own, minority interests, special interest groups, but they don't see them as uh, Democrats as any longer representing uh, poor white people. And they see the Republican establishment as representing uh, the rich. They see it as their own party, but they, they see it as representing the rich. And the, the best example of this is the, uh, the bailout of the banks after the economic collapse. Mm. Many um, poor white people in this country felt that the banks were saved and they still lost their homes. And they were very angry about this. They didn't turn to the left, they turned to the right. Um, and uh, that is really the genesis of the, of the Tea Party within the Republican movement. It is, it is mostly low-income uh, white Americans who feel left behind uh, in this country. Chris, I mean, just just quickly, we've done stupid before. I mean, have we not learnt anything as Americans? I mean, l listen, just have a listen to this quickly for one second before you answer that. Okay. And so, in my state of the my state of the union, our state, my speech to the nation, whatever you want to call it, speech to the nation. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. And America needs a military where our breasts and brightest are proud to serve. If you're a single mother with two children which is the toughest job in America as far as I'm concerned. And you're working hard to put food on your family. Question asked, are, is our children learning? The docs are getting out of business. Too many OBGYNs aren't able to practice their, their love with women all the time. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Boom, we can't get fooled again. <laughs> So, Chris, hey, I don't know if at you... least he knows his lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we've, we we saw the nightmare that was George W. Bush. Why are Americans going back there? Like, why is it going back to what seems like an author authoritarian state? Well, I, I think you know it's very easy to see Trump as just a clown, and 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 it's easy to do when you watch him on the television uh, on these debates. But when you're out on the ground, particularly I've been, I'll give you an example of being in Nevada, which is a state that was really, really badly hit by the economic downturn. Biggest foreclosures in the country. Uh, people's houses lost 90% of their value. When you go out on the ground in places like Nevada, the passion for Trump is 
is unbelievable. People really want to believe that there's somebody out there that can change things. Um, and uh, it's a mistake to um, think that uh, he's really just a clown to them. He's not. He's he's a real hope. And the a sheer level of passion that was once there for Obama and the only other person in this election that generates anything near that passion is Bernie Sanders. And he does it on the left amongst young people who are more receptive to a more thoughtful message. But Trump channels anger very well. Uh, none of the other Republican candidates, there's no passion for them at all or for Hillary Clinton, interestingly. Mm. And if it comes to Hillary versus Trump, don't underestimate the passion because people who are ambivalent won't go vote for Hillary. People are going to turn out for Trump. This is this is why the numbers of people voting in Republican primaries is up an awful lot, and that's because of Trump. It's, and I think they see past the clown bit, yeah. and they see him as a man who's standing up and voicing what they really think, and his anger, and also his refusal to play the game. They love the fact that he refuses to play the game. Yeah. Um, or Which they see or, as the Republican can't. Party game or the television yeah. uh, media game. You know, he's just won't play it. But it's very. I think it's very interesting that uh, the same hope that that brought Obama up is the very same hope that could bring Trump up. So I think that there's a very interesting psychology there. But Chris, um, when 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 uh, the, the Republicans were heading into the Iowa um, uh, primary. Uh, we had a situation. I think Iowa is the one where he lost, and and the situation was that he was he said his ground game hadn't been strong enough. Um, yet this guy who hasn't invested as much as the other as the other candidates in his ground game in getting things done on the ground, and who was clueless about the ground game until that point when he lost, uh, seems to be just rallying this popular support from the ground. How is he? Uh, doing that is that just purely from what he's do- saying on TV? Is that is that just enough to to rally the forces behind him, or is there something else that's happening? Has has his team on the ground increased um, in the different states, or is this guy just a, a, a one man beast? <laughs> well, the one man beast definitely, but I think I think it is the media a lot of it. I mean, it, uh, you know, the other candidates spend an absolute fortune on television adverts um and he he has started ramping up his television advertising but the fact is that he's a huge draw uh on television even for people who don't like him so uh cnn for instance um will give him endless he was on trump gave an hour-long speech after winning in michigan tonight and and um cnn broadcast the whole thing live they didn't broadcast the whole of any of the other Republican yeah. uh, candidate speeches. Yeah. Yeah. And it's free publicity for him. He gets to say it every time he says something that offends somebody or causes a row or, he, you know, he upsets Megyn Kelly on Fox News. <laughs> uh, it, it causes a storm. It's in the media. It's all good publicity for him. I mean, he does get it wrong at times. And um, he got it wrong on David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan, yes. I think, yeah. because there are enough people that don't want to, <laughs> anything to do with that and yeah. he didn't he wasn't quick enough to uh 
put distance, for, uh, you know, uh, between himself and the KKK, and he did eventually. And it, but I think it, it it was a lesson for him. And yet, um, and yet, he bounced back. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. the most intriguing thing about Trump. He, my earpiece did not work. If my everybody, earpiece did yes, not work. that's that, why I did not if, hear it. If everybody else, if if any other candidate made the missteps that Trump, Trump will come out and say. We're going to do this today, and then tomorrow, when he gets called out for it, say, "No, I didn't say that," and and he just keeps going, and no one says, "Oh no, you've lost credibility." It's it's really fascinating. Uh, on on he doesn't yeah. respond to it. I think I think that's the thing is every other candidate in those circumstances would go on the defensive, would 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 handle it in a way which suggested that they that it they, is a crisis uh, mm. that there was yeah that yeah. they've been stung. He doesn't do that. He just, you know, he basically bullshits his way through the whole thing, <laughs> comes out the other side and pretends it didn't happen. And people like that. They like that bluster. It appeals. Um, it is the part of the clown element, but it's actually quite effective, at least for now. Yeah. You know, Do- doesn't it what- also appeal to the, like, the American dream? You know, anything is possible. Here is Donald Trump. But people forget that he, he started out as a millionaire as well. <laughs> It's well, indeed. And, um, you know, he, he is vulnerable on that. He's been hit on that a few times, which is uh, not only that, you know, daddy gave him a lot of money, but actually his business record isn't that great. He's yeah. lost a lot of money, too. The problem is, um, and he's cost a lot of jobs, a lot of people their jobs along the way. The problem is that, and this came up in a recent debate, um, he, I think it was Rubio was attacking him on this one. and. Yeah. Uh, Trump just turned around and said, how many jobs have you created? None. <laughs> Nobody on this stage has created any jobs. I'm the only one. I'm the only one yeah. And of course that works, you know. Yeah. Rubio came out, of course, and said uh, he's a conman and, uh, and all of that. Let's get let's get our, our listeners in on this, uh, Chris. We've got um, sure. uh, some of our listeners that, uh, sending us WeChat messages. Avishka Pende says uh, the establishment might not even allow him to be the Republican candidate. The Republican Party establishment has a conference mid-year and could choose someone else to run for them if they want being in the states i'm seeing more and more people saying that they like that he's being straightforward he's spoken a lot of crap but he's also spoken a lot of hard real talk about foreign trade big companies running the country corruption terrorism and 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 avishka is right right he's spoken all of these things but he is those things he is big company he is about uh, he does employ a lot of uh, mexicans for example himself who build all of these things uh he is not exactly the epitome of anti-corruption so how is he able to be all of these things and yet not be any of it if that's if that makes sense well i think part of it is this um this performance that he puts on which is when you watch the man uh and he's confronted with a question he simply avoids it he goes off uh on some a good example is what he talks about 11 million illegal aliens in this country, mm. undocumented Mexicans, and he's going to do something about it. Uh, and, but when you ask him what he's actually going to do about it, well, I'm going to make him go home. How? Are you going to send the police around to knock on their doors in the middle of the night? What do you do about those many people here who are Ill- here illegally but have children who were born in the United States and they're therefore citizens. Perfectly reasonable questions of how you address a really important issue to people and, and a massive policy issue if you're going to try and deport 11 million people. He simply doesn't answer it. Um, <laughs> he doesn't and, have an answer. And, no, and, and ironically, for him, it's okay. For any of, of the other candidates, it would be a crisis mm-hmm. that you don't have an answer. 
partly I think it's a real reflection of the desperation of many Americans is that because Donald Trump has built something. I mean, you can go to Las Vegas and see his extremely distasteful Trump Tower um, in gold. Um, but it stands there. It's a huge symbol. There's no, you know, for the Las Vegas voters coming out, they can see Trump Tower. It's something tangible. Yeah. The man's been on the television, you know, for years because of The Apprentice boasting about um, his many uh, uh, supposed achievements. And so he represents, I think you're right, the American dream possibility, but also what they see as tangible achievements, which really they can't attach to uh, any of the other candidates who are just professional politicians. All right. We're speaking to Chris McGrill. He's the senior writer for The Guardian in the U.S. at the moment, former Washington correspondent and uh, has been based in Johannesburg and Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to speak to you a little bit about foreign policy. But before we get there, if you've just joined us, how is it possible that Donald Trump could be the next U.S. president? Uh, it's, it's a question that, as you said, Chris, a couple of months ago would be laughable. Now, not so laughable. I want to just play a little bit of uh, audio of some of the responses of people in the States and what they think of Trump. We like him. He tells it like it is. He says what he means. I, I honestly believe he's telling the truth. He's funding his own campaign. Nobody owns him. He's aggressive and he's strong and he's bold. I think he's an incredible businessman. If he runs the country like he runs his organization, we would what? be in good shape. So that's just some of the comments from people across uh, across the U.S. A good businessman. I just want to touch on that a little bit. He's He, he has run some successful things, but some very unsuccessful things as well, as John Oliver put it. Uh, we saw the likes of Trump Airlines go belly mm -hmm. up. Trump Vodka didn't get the the uh, the big one. Uh, the other one, Trump Steaks, which he only mm -hmm. sold in Sharper Image, which is the South African equivalent of selling steaks at Planet Fitness, which I think is quite interesting. Trump Magazine also went belly up. And the funniest and best one was in 2006, he launched Trump Mortgage, giving mortgage loans to, to people of, of America. We obviously saw the financial crisis one year later. I mean, is he a good businessman? Well, all the evidence is not. No, um, he, I, I suppose, actually, I'll qualify that by saying what you mean by a good businessman. He plays the <laughs> business game very well. So, for instance, he is a successful businessman to the extent that he clearly has a profitable uh, hotel and casino business. Um, he was very successful with The Apprentice, of course. Um, but along the way, it's been pointed out uh, to the man that He's bankrupted himself and other people um, at the expense of tens of thousands of jobs for working people. Uh, he hasn't paid bills. Um, he's, he's left debts, a stream of debts behind him, all of which is legal because he uses American bankruptcy laws. So he's not doing anything um, that is against the law, but it certainly opens questions about the morality of the, the, of the conduct of his uh, businesses. And... Um, he defends that. He's saying, well, if it's legal, that's good business. So he's a good businessman in that sense, I suppose. Whether you'd regard him as a successful businessman in terms of, you know, the, the firms that went bust because they were supplying him and he didn't get, they didn't get paid and you look, the workers that worked for those firms and lost their jobs, they probably have a very different view of it. Of course, Chris, uh, there's another businessman that, that is said to be in the wings who, has the political uh, uh, pedigree and has actually run um, at least the city, uh, Michael Bloomberg. Uh, what's the situation there? And uh, do, 
will he will we see him eventually making a run for it or is he is he has have his advisors probably advised him against it yeah, he said on the weekend that he's not going to run. Um, and he, the reason he said he won't run is he's, uh, fearful that if he did, it might let Trump win because he would take, uh, Votes a good away. chunk of, uh, yeah. uh oh, votes the from other the Democrats. Candidates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there is there so, is there some kind of, you know, we've been seeing a, a lot of Republican um uh, leaders, people high up in the leadership of the Republican Party saying they will go against, they will do anything it takes to get rid of Trump. Um, is there any moment you think in the, in the next little while where Rubio and Cruz might come together? Uh, can they come together at this point? Does that mean that they bring their votes together? How does that work? They'd be running mates. Yeah, well, one of the things would be, let's say Rubio does badly in Florida or doesn't do particularly well, which is his home state. Um, He's very, he's in a very distant third now. Um, there'll be a lot of pressure on him to drop out because it'll become apparent that he can't, can't be the, the nominee. Now, um, the Republican establishment would certainly prefer Rubio over Cruz, but if Cruz is the only, uh, alternative to Trump, and I, I just have to say at this point that, you know, one of the other astonishing things is the idea of Ted Cruz as the moderate candidate in all of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he was, he was the lunatic candidate a few yeah. months ago. He was the one that everybody said is so far out there. What yeah. are some of his policies? What, what are we talking? Stop him. Well, he, I mean, for instance, um, uh, Cruz is, is as much uh, hostile to the, um, uh, the immigrants, uh, the 11 million immigrants in the, in the United States as Trump is. He's just not proposing that Mexico should pay to build a wall. Um, <laughs> To but, which, um, to, to which the Mexican president uh, basically has an fu as a response. Yes, indeed. I think he, I think he, he yesterday or today called Trump a fascist. So we <laughs> sort of, you know, yeah. you can see that relations are going to be great if Trump is. <laughs> but um, I, I think the way things are looking, it would be that the pressure would be on Rubio to drop out uh, in order to um, back Cruz. Now, what would then happen to Rubio's delegates is an open question, but. Um, they would almost certainly swing behind Cruz, uh, or they would certainly be pressured at any kind of brokered convention to swing behind Cruz. Yeah. Then, then, the, essentially, you, and then you've got Kasich, he would be pressured to drop out as well. And what the Republican establishment would try to do would get it down to one candidate against Trump, in the hope that even if Trump was ahead, he didn't have an outright majority. And without an outright majority, they can, as I say, they, when, the, when the convention comes around ahead of the general election, they can hope to fix things behind the scenes. They have, the, the system is actually, in some ways, hugely undemocratic. They have this whole system here of what are called superdelegates who aren't elected by anybody. They're just appointed and they would be very pro-establishment. Yeah. Um, but there are great dangers for the Republican Party in doing this because they will lose a lot of their electorate if they do. Uh, Avishka again says the establishment is panicking because their elite few won't be able to control and dictate what Trump uh, does and who he favors. Uh, how does the system work, uh, uh, Chris, uh, in the U.S.? And um, how, would he so assume he makes it? Uh, what handle will they have on him? Ultimately, they still the, the the Congress and the Senate will will still be made up largely of just pure Republicans and pure Democrats. Uh, so how does he then exercise? What powers does he have? Is he also going to uh, a lead through executive decree that, like uh, we're seeing Obama have to do? 
Well, it is a very interesting question because you, you're quite right. I mean, let us assume that the balance of Congress remains pretty much the same. So the Republicans would still still um, control the House of Representatives and the Senate. Um, so technically, he would be quite limited in what he could do without their support uh, in the way that Obama was. But there would be enormous political pressure on Republicans. It's one thing for Republicans to oppose a Democrat and particularly a black Democratic president uh, because their opposition has undoubtedly had racial overtones mm. to it. It's another thing to um, oppose the president who was elected by the members of your own party mm. because it makes those members of Congress themselves uh, vulnerable to Republican primary elections if the message goes out that they are stopping uh, president, Republican President Trump from doing what he was elected to do. So it will place enormous pressure on those um, those members of Congress. Uh, it, it, one of the things about the United States is unlike South Africa or Britain, um, unlike parliamentary systems, the party uh, plays a much smaller role and individual members of Congress and members of the Senate are much more likely to look after their own interests and re-elections uh, than they are to worry about what the party leadership policy is. Um, and if they're in a position where they're coming under pressure from their from primary voters or the equivalent of the Tea Party, like there's a challenge within the Republican Party to them in the primaries from somebody saying, I support Trump because our, our elected representative doesn't, that would put enormous pressure on them to fall into line with Trump. But... Having said all of that, some of Trump's policies, like on health care, um, will still be very hard for him to get through because they're, they're ideologically the opposite end of the scale from the majority of the Republicans in Congress. Chris, uh, the lobby is obviously, it tends to be an, an influencing factor in, in uh, the, the elections. Um, we, we seem to be, at least from South Africa point of view, where, for example, when, during, when, when Obama was running for president, uh, there was a very strong voice coming from the lobby. It seems, at least looking at it from South Africa, that the lobby is very quiet. Um, what's going on with uh, the gun lobby and so on? Has the lobby, have the different strong lobby groups come out uh, and, and put their support behind Trump or any of the others? And, and why does there seem to be almost uh, either a silence or just waiting for things to settle? Well, as far as the gun lobby is concerned, its attention will be focused on defeating whoever the Democratic candidate is, yes. but probably Hillary Clinton. Mm. Um, so they will back whoever the candidate is. At this stage, they wouldn't really uh, want to involve themselves too much in the Republican primaries because, to be honest, all of the Republican candidates are pro-gun so that's good enough for them. Yeah. Um, I think that there are other business interests who uh, will um, favor particular candidates, um, but they will finance uh, behind the scenes. I mean, a lot of them were behind Jeb Bush, for instance. Jeb Bush had $110 million in his campaign and went nowhere. So they're, they're quite aware of um, the limitations of giving money. And a good example is the man who actually gave more money than anybody else in the last election to try and get Mitt Romney elected. He's a guy called Sheldon Adelson. He's, he, he was at one point in the top 10 richest men of the world. Um, uh, he's the he's a, a big casino operator in Nevada. 
um, in Las Vegas. Um, and he gave $100 million to uh, Mitt Romney to try and get him elected yes. in 2012. And that, that was a complete waste of time. Um, and, that, and, um, and then he became not the richest man in the, in, in, in the world. Right? Indeed. But before that, he had backed, he had backed Newt Gingrich. And uh, Newt Gingrich, um, who uh, is pretty far to the right, um, was up against Romney. And what Adelson concluded was that even though he'd thrown 25 million at Newt Gingrich, he still couldn't win. So I think he's decided not to, um, not, not to involve that. himself in the primary well, process. I, mean, if I think they're standing back and watching. If your name is Newt Gingrich, I mean, I don't think I would put a hundred million behind you as well, you know, but maybe that's just being horrible. Uh, we're speaking, uh, to about how is it possible that Donald Trump could be the next U.S. president? Chris McGrill, all the way from Portland, Oregon. Thank you for joining us. So I just want to get onto this idea of foreign policy. We, we saw in the, uh, in the first, one of the first primaries, he spoke about the wall. Uh, that he wants to build. And it's not against Mexican people. It's, you know, it's because that border is a sieve. Um, and, uh, it's quite fascinating to hear what he has to say about this. What, what are some of his foreign policies that you've heard about? Does he have any foreign policies? Well, they're not complicated foreign policies. They'd be very complicated to implement, but he, he puts them in very simplistic terms. So, um, for instance, as, as you just mentioned, there's Mexico and the uh, uh, the immigration issue, and he wants to build a wall, but says Mexico will pay for it. When people say to him, "Well, how are you going to get Mexico to pay for it?" he says, "Well, we have a trade imbalance in their favour, so we're just going to cut off trade unless they pay." And you think, "I wonder if that's really possible." Um, his his you know solution to dealing with ISIS is simply to bomb more, and by the way, there should be more troops on the ground. And you do think, well, they've been there in Iraq and that didn't go terribly well. And it hasn't gone really very well in Afghanistan. So maybe that isn't the best policy, but he, that's his policy. There's, there's not a lot of depth to it. He simply identifies a problem and gives a simplistic, uh, answer to it. I mean, he's going to stand up to the Chinese because they're a big problem, but he seems to think he, he doesn't need to stand up to Putin that they'll, they'll both get along very well he seems mm. to quite like putin mm. um and that may be because actually putin and and trump have something in common which is they both create their own realities they don't sort of deal with reality as it is they just invent a reality putin does this all the time over what goes on in ukraine and all the rest mm. and essentially um trump does it he does he, he, he creates fake realities about what the real problems of America are. So they are the illegal immigrants. They are the Chinese rather than, you know, other things such as the way the banks work. Um, and um, there's no depth to his his um, his foreign policy. And that that actually doesn't really matter to most American voters. Uh, foreign policy is not a big issue. Uh, they're worried about terrorists and terrorism and to be told, well, Obama is to blame for the rise of ISIS because he didn't bomb Syria enough or, or invade or, or, you know, do something. Um, uh, it's good enough for them. Um, Trump simply says he'll ramp up the defense spending and, um, and go on the attack. And, and that works perfectly fine for a lot of Republicans. I'm interested to hear, I mean, you've, you've worked both in South Africa and Johannesburg and in, in Jerusalem and Israel. Uh, your thoughts, if, if, 
if any, about African policy and what America would uh, would do if Trump was president in the African space, and also, of course, the heated Middle East space. We saw um, those uh, those deaths in in uh, Jerusalem, uh, not in Israel. I think it was in in uh, Tel Aviv uh, just two days ago. The stabbings. What what is Trump going to do, or are people worried about his influence? Well. Israel, the Israel-Palestinian issue is actually a, a, a complicating one for Trump because it's pretty much uh, standard on the uh, Republican right to uh, give uh, your undying commitment to Israel. No questions asked. You'll support them no matter what. Um, and Palestinians are all terrorists. And Trump has actually voiced a slightly more nuanced view um, of that. And that has got him into some trouble. Cruz has used it to try and um, attack him. I'm not sure it would damage him, Trump, with his 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 real grassroots. I don't think they care that much about Israel. Evangelical voters do, but evangelicals tend to swing more to Cruz than Trump anyway. Um, so he has voiced a, a slightly more nuanced thing on Israel. On Africa, I would imagine that Trump will see Africa in, in two ways. He will see it in trade terms, uh, and he will see it in, uh, as Americans will portray it, terrorism terms um, and the war on terror. Um, and uh, I don't think that Trump would, it would, it would cross Trump's or has crossed Trump's mind other than as a business opportunity. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't think he, he would have given it very much more thought than that, to be honest. One gets a sense that uh, he wouldn't necessarily see it as a trade opportunity, but almost a, a, an easy bully. Um to 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 just uh, attack and bully a lot of African states, uh, but that that's for, that's us seeing th- what his demeanor is towards much bigger much bigger in let's call them enemies in inverted commas like China. Um, well, he sees China as a trade threat yeah. and also as as a as a as a um, security threat. So I, that's and he sees Mexico as an immigration and trade threat. I think you're right. I think he would certainly bully countries in Africa, but only those that came onto his radar. Um, and I think that trade between the United States and most African countries is is relatively small. Oh, thank goodness. Um, I think we're okay then. Well, they just fought a hard, they just fought <laughs> a hard fight. Might, they just fought a hard fight for a Goa and chicken, so... Uh, we, we must expect a lot more things to be dumped. Chris, uh, as we get ready to let you go, uh, we know you need to sleep. It's nearing midnight where you are. Um, there have been comments uh, said about uh, Hitler and comparisons between Trump and Hitler, and that let's not forget that Hitler was also popular. Um, do you what What do you make of this this imagery of of Trump being a Hitler type of a leader? Uh, do you think it would be that catastrophic, or do you think he's just going to get into office, regain perspective and sanity, and just be an ordinary president? Well, I mean, it's hard to believe it would be that catastrophic. You know, Hitler fifty to one hundred million dead, six million Jews murdered in the Holocaust. It's I hard to believe Trump is going to go that far uh, unless he unleashes nuclear war. But um, I, I do think that there's, there's certainly, he, he has a demagogic quality to him. And I think it is very, very disturbing that he uses, he speaks about, for instance, Mexican immigrants in racial terms that um, he is, he, in the end, he, he gets away with um, because they are actually 
shared by a lot of people who felt that they couldn't say these things. And what Trump has done is he's legitimized that. Um, and I, I found that talking to uh, Latinos in across the, the southern states, in, in Texas, in Florida and places, even those that aren't from Mexico say, we're all Mexicans now. Trump has painted all Latinos in these terms. Um, and they feel that uh, racism has been legitimized by him. And I, I think that, that there is a danger that, you know, his populism if it's uh, particularly if he comes to power and is put into practice, does have some some very very nasty elements to it, which would take the United States back. And the United States, as as we know, with what's happened in recent years with the police um, and uh, uh, African Americans, you know, it's still, uh, for all its its advances, has huge racial problems. And Trump would not be the man to make things better. Chris McGrill, before we let you go, do you think that Trump will be the next U.S. president? Is it a possibility? I'd say it's a possibility. I think the odds are still in favor of, if he's up against Clinton, uh, Clinton winning. But I say it with a couple of caveats. Uh, one of the caveats is that Trump really excites his base. He gets people out to vote, to campaign for him. Clinton doesn't excite anybody. And her best hope in running against Trump is that people would turn out, they would get excited by voting against Trump. Um, uh, she needs those people to turn out. Obama could turn people out, and I'm, I don't know whether Clinton can or not. I think the other caveat uh, that might play in his favor is Clinton does have legal problems. She's got problems with the emails. They haven't completely gone away. And if there is an investigation uh, that turns up anything, if there's talk of... Uh, you know, prosecutions, even if it's not of her. That reminds a lot of people of what happened with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky oh. and impeachment after he lied and all of that, you know, and that doesn't play well. Uh, Clinton isn't trusted. Where, when one of your readers sent in a thing about, or, or I think it was the comments, people were saying Trump is trusted. It's amazing. He is. Clinton has very high levels of distrust um, and um, I think that's a real danger for her. All right, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, Chris McGrill from uh, The Guardian US speaking to us from Portland, Oregon. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much and look forward to uh, hearing more from you as these elections go on. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Yo, it is, it is a wrecking ball status. Hour one complete. How could Donald Trump be the US president? We join you. Right after this. This is CliffCentral.com.